I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us. We are so beyond excited to have you here. Joining us live from Katie's living room. Katie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. You might be wondering, why am I talking to you like this is an interview? Katie, are you wondering that? Well... I am not quite wondering that myself, Liz, because we do have some exciting information to share. Some exciting information to share? Please, do tell me more. Here's the mic to you, Katie. Thank you, Liz. Our correspondent on the street, Katie King. Hi, I'm Katie King, and I'm coming to you from my living room to tell you guys about an interview that Liz and I just did for the podcast for New England Cable News for the series they do about podcasts. We could not believe our little eyes when we got an email from someone reaching out to us to be a part of a little segment for New England Cable News, NECN Boston, to be interviewed for this segment called Listen to This. It was just going to be a little segment, you know, they said six to eight minutes, whatever, of us just talking about the podcast. And less than a week later, there we were, being interviewed over Zoom. It was crazy. It was so crazy. And honestly, we did not know what we were going to be asked. We didn't know really the format. You know, we had seen other segments that they had done for that series. So we were like, okay, you know, general idea, general kind of thought process about what's going to happen. But I honestly, Liz, I was very impressed with the both of us, but especially you, because the questions that were fired off at us, we had no idea that we were going to be asked anything like that. I mean, we probably had to guess. Sure. But just the thought of answering on the fly and having it be live and taped, like we really didn't get any do-overs. Yes. I feel like we did a pretty good job. It's okay. We can humble brag. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. And I think We were both, it was on Zoom, which I think took a little bit of the edge off. Yeah. And even though you were working, we made it work. Yeah, I literally had to run outside like, okay, a patient of mine, sit tight, I'll be right back. Right. I had to run outside. It was also scorching hot that day. Yes. So at first I was like, oh, I'll just sit in my car. And then I looked at the little temperature gauge of the inside of my car, Mm -hmm. well over 100 degrees. Right. So I was like, well, outside it is. Yep. Because I will be dripping sweat profusely on live TV, I guess. So I'm not doing that. If not dead by the end of it. (laughs) Yeah. Because you would have needed ventilation. It was so hot. And you know what's funny, too, is as soon as they started up the Zoom, the guy was like, do you have any better lighting? And I was like, uh, this is actually the only room in my apartment that doesn't have overhead lighting. And he was like, well, we need to fix that. And I, we scrambled for a little bit, but we ultimately kind of just landed on what I was doing. Really? Yeah. And it turned out it looks fine. I don't know. I think it looks okay. Wow. I thought it looked great. Thank you. I mean, I spent like an hour and a half doing my hair and makeup. <laughs> and, we, you know, we often joke that we are, of course, our own producers and writers and wardrobe and hair and costume design. And we absolutely were for this day as well. So it worked out. So funny. But no, we had so much fun. And you guys, NECN.com. It's their Listen to This series. Yes. Just go into the search bar and write Listen to This. It is so cool. It's like six and a half minutes. It's cute. It's kitschy. I love it. It's a lot of fun. I think we did a really good job answering questions that, again, we weren't prepared for in any way. Um, but it was just very conversational. The woman who interviewed us, Sue, she was so nice. Before and after as well. Like it was cute little, cute little interview. And we were so honored and thankful. So thank you, Sue. Thank you to the NECN team. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. We were so surprised and just really excited to have that opportunity. And we, we had so much fun. Yeah, we did. And now we can check off cable news for our, our list of things that we've accomplished. And honestly, it feels good. Yeah. Just It really does. So you guys should really check it out if you haven't already. It is fun. It is fun. And Katie looks like an angel. The wind is blowing and her hair is, she's glowing. She really looks like she's glowing. It's great. The whole time I was like, if another breeze blows by, I'm going to 
die. No, you I'm looked, just going to be mortified. You looked like an angel. You did. <laughs> I looked so rough. I literally left a patient. I was like, oh my God, I have to be ready in 30 seconds. I know. I was running across nursing home property. Yes. I was like, please God, no one see me look like a fool. No, you looked great. And meanwhile, I was sitting, I had to try and keep my cats from which is like literally not that big of a deal comparatively. Like you could have been pronouncing someone at work. And I was over here like, Ladybug, be snore quieter. Like it was not, it was crazy, but it was a good experience. So I'm really glad we did that. Yeah. And just like the questions from the interview were a mystery to us, this case is going to be a mystery for everyone because. We've gotten a mysterious death for you today. Yeah. And it's also a historical case, too, which I think is always really fun when we can go back in history and read actual information from that time. We got a real good history one. It's pretty far back and it's bulky. We have a lot of information and it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So stick around. It's historical, but don't let that sway you because it is super interesting and definitely will leave you wanting more answers. And without further ado, today we will be covering the, the mysterious, mysterious death of Jenny Kramer. All right, Katie, what do you got for sources for me today? I have quite a few really good ones. Great! I have Murder by Gaslight. Of course. We always seem to gravitate towards them for historical cases, and I'm very happy about it. Absolutely. As well as law.jrank.org. Find a Grave, Encyclopedia.com, and New England Historical Society. Wonderful. I also have the New England Historical Society. Great, great organization. Murder by Gaslight, naturally. Ann Arbor District Library. Rare Newspapers. Law.jrank articles as well. And Newspaper.com. Cool. Alrighty. Katie, who was Jenny Kramer? Tell us. Jenny Kramer was born to parents Jacob and Christina in New Haven, Connecticut, around 1860. A real birthday unknown, but that's about, about the timeline. Jacob was a cigar merchant, and he made pretty good money, so he ensured that Jenny was just absolutely pampered. She was worshipped, mm-hmm. adored. Yeah. Very doted on because she also was a pretty sickly child. Yeah. It's suspected that she was most likely anemic. She was just very pale, very fatigued. She was one of those kids that was kind of put in a wheelchair and wrapped in a blanket and brought to the seaside for the fresh air. Right. I re- that was actually a very clear picture. Thank you so much. That was I'm good. I'm so glad. That's my dream. No, just kidding. Honestly, you know, back then, people with anemia just, they didn't really know so well. So... All you need is iron. So, I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. But iron would help. So, I mean, she was really weak, I think, is a lot of it. So, picturing her curled up in a blanket at the seaside is so accurate. Despite her being a frail child, she was described as having grown up to be a striking beauty with a fair complexion, deep blue eyes, and dark hair. And she was even known as the Belle of New Haven. Wow. We have a picture of her, obviously, on our Instagram and website. She actually is, I mean, it's a drawing, but right. she's actually beautiful. From Her bangs are fantastic. She does, her depiction looks very nice. Jenny's mom actually gave her her blessing to drop out of school at the age of 15 so she could use that time to work on her social life and appearance. It's like every little girl's dream. (laughs) How many makeup influencers right now wish that was them at 15, right? Jenny had many suitors that her mom kept a close eye on. I think her mom also maybe brought in some suitors because she really wanted Jenny to marry rich and move up in social status and class. You know, although they were pretty well off. They weren't super duper rich, so anything to get her beautiful daughter, who maybe she lived through a little bit, to move up in social status was what she was going to do. Right. Rather than following the rules of society at the time and waiting for men to be introduced to her, Jenny became known as a flirt, and she would approach men on her own. Although she was very mindful of her reputation, she wouldn't do anything to tarnish or damage her reputation, but she did think it was 
kind of fun and maybe a little rebellious to approach men unchaperoned right. and do a little flirty flirt, winky wink with them, although it really wouldn't go any further than that because of her reputation. Right. I read that she was a fast girl, quote unquote, but without the sexual part, because that would be an ultimate no-no. Then you'd be a whore, like legit. And exiled from society. Right. That would be you'd be a sex worker, but they'd call you the naughty word for that. And it would just be, you'd never come back from that. This, she was just flirting, being real cutesy. Ha ha, I dropped out of school to be pretty. LOL, are you a doctor? Are you a sea merchant? I'm going to kiss your face, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that her mom let her do this, jealousy. Mom, come on. (laughs) You pushed me to go to school and now... Here I am, not affluential in my social life. Oh, man. (laughs) And it's really hard to say, too, for these, because all we have is that drawing. But it is said that she was really beautiful and that she was, you know, really relying on her looks because apparently, and maybe it's because she dropped out, maybe it's because she was a woman at this time, maybe it was because she was sickly, but apparently she was not the most smart person around, which again, could be a sign of the times. So she really was begging on that hope that, man, I hope I can get some really nice man to carry me through life. Yeah. And her mom was kind of thinking too, it's the late 1800s. The lifespan is like 30. Right. It's we're lucky. Right. Looks don't last forever. No. 15, she's already halfway to the grave, right. practically. Right. She's going to start getting crow's feet soon. Let's pawn her off while she's still got the looks. Absolutely. Before her looks fade. And she had two siblings as well. And w- they were working at their father's cigar shop way more frequently than Jenny was, just because they weren't as sickly. And I think Jenny's mom, Christina, just didn't favor them as much because they were working. They were going to make that living, maybe that they already were living that was comfortable, but Jenny was going to get them that living that she wanted. Yes. And that's what she desired. So she was going to push Jenny as much as she could. And now that she was older and a little more healthy, and now she had boobs and stuff, (laughs) she was going to use that to her advantage any way she could. So when Jenny was getting a little older and she was getting a little more flirty and it was time to maybe get out there and find the one, the one, Where else is she going to go but the local department store? That's where you get all of your honeys, right? Katie, when you're looking for a guy, where do you go? The department store. It has everything. Cable. Tarps. Men. Paint. TV dinners. Everything you need. And that's where she would go. And you know what? What luck did she have? Because this is where it all started. In the year 1881, now at the age of 21, Jenny met 23-year-old Jimmy Malley. Jimmy was someone who enjoyed having fun, which, I mean, don't we all? Sure. But he especially was someone who was more of a partier. He was pretty outgoing. He just kind of liked going out, um, I'm assuming on the weekends or maybe after his really laboring job at his uncle's department store, Mally & Co. Sure. I mean, he he seems like he was just like a, you know, young adult in the 1800s who was handsome and wealthy and liked to get down with it, you know, to put it bluntly. So because he worked at this department store and Jenny was a woman who was supposed to be nurturing her social status and probably dressing in the latest fashions. She frequented this department store, and she began to frequent the department store without her mother oh, or a chaperone. Right. Which is fine. You know, a young girl can do shopping on her own. Sure. What she really wasn't supposed to be doing on her own was flirting Oh, with Jimmy Malley. The handsome young bachelor. <laughs> okay. Oh. Who's wealthy. Oh. Interesting. Jimmy had a really good friend who was also his cousin named Walter Malley. Walter's dad, Edward, actually owned the department store, and he was also the largest taxpayer in all of New Haven. Interesting. So he was, like, richy rich. He was a big head honcho, for sure. Walter, despite being really good friends with Jimmy, and, you know, 
their cousins, so they're probably close anyway growing up. Yeah. Jimmy, as we talked about, you know, partying and just having fun, very outgoing. Walter, on the total opposite side of the spectrum, super shy. Mm. And he was really into art and music. And he didn't have a lot of interest in sports or going out and getting out there socially. He really didn't care about making friends or meeting someone. He just wanted to listen to music and study compositions and literature, literature, learn about art. And he actually, he attended two separate colleges Mm. and he didn't have a degree from either, even though he really enjoyed his time there pursuing an education. He, you know, just didn't really stick with it. And his dad considered him to be a major disappointment, which is it's really sad. It is really sad, too, because Walter went to Yale. Like, one of the schools he went to was Yale. He didn't graduate, but to attend Yale is no small feat. Right. Like, would you rather say, oh, my child dropped out of Yale or my child dropped out of the local community college? Like, right. Not that there's anything wrong there's with that. Nothing I went to a local community, community college. Right. Great time. Love my life. Absolutely. But uh, Yale. Right. And Prestigious. Amazing. And to be honest, if I had to pick one of these boys that I would choose, I would choose the guy into art and composition and stuff who's not out partying with all these bitches. That's exactly what I was going to say. Honestly. <laughs> so like way more my speed. Right. Like, oh, he's not replying to my period pigeon. Right. He must be cheating with the other wenches. Right. Right. Meanwhile, he's like... Beethoven was a genius. Yeah, in his room, he's on the locked away. Yeah, I just imagine him if it was recent times, probably with headphones. Sure, his parents knocking on the door. Walter, I told you to get out here and go back to school. Right. Shut up, Dad. I'm listening to the greatest composers of all time. Right. I can totally picture that. Jimmy dragged quiet, artsy Walter quite frequently, actually, to go to New York City. I mean, they were in New Haven, Connecticut. It really is not that far away. Very close. Even by buggy. I was going to say, even by horse and carriage. Which they, of course, had. And, you know, I feel like even back then, poor families even had some form of transportation. But they definitely had horse and buggy, if not nice horse and nice buggy, Mm -hmm. for sure. So they would always head on down to New York City. For what else in New York City? But there's so many things. And New York City has always been known for great attractions. Times Square, the beautiful buildings, brothels, um, Broadway, the pizza, you know, sex workers, things like that. And that just, you know, those were the reasons that the men would go to New York City. Some of the reasons I listed. Pick and choose which ones you like. Mainly the brothel. One in the sex workers. Which is fine. It's fine. But that's where they would go. At their favorite brothel that they frequented, which is a crazy sentence to say, first of all. Right. We all have our favorite brothels, right? There they met a woman and sex worker named Blanche Douglas. What a hot name. And of course, Blanche was not her real name. I mean, that's sex worker 101 is pick something like Cherry or Crystal. Blanche Douglas was born on a Kearns. But she had a really rough life. Anna had to flee a very abusive stepfather. Mm. And then she married a man kind of to get out of the really abusive relationship with her stepfather. You know, mm. I'm going to marry this man and he's going to help me get out of this relationship with my stepfather. Right. Only for the man she married to also be very abusive. Right. So she had to run away from him and join the brothel. And that is all obviously very sad. And terrible but my question is why did she choose the name blanche was that a hot like a hot popular name back then it must have been more popular but so all i think of is blanche like when you're checking the skin to see if it blanches for a nursing assessment that's definitely something unique to probably you and i in (laughs) nursing staff not i bet you most people think of like the golden girls right Mm -hmm. isn't blanche one of the don't you blanch something when you're cooking? Like that too. Of, yeah. Yeah. I think that's when you like, something's really hot and then you dip it in ice or something, right? Yeah. Or you put it over ice. Cooks, uh, send us an email at truecremeny at gmail.com if we're wrong about that. I don't know, but I just found it really interesting that she left this terrible life and then she got another terrible life and then she left again 
and now she's in this brothel. She just really had it bad. And she, you know, because she had no formal education, she had no wealth. These two men show up and they're like, oh, look at this hot girl named Blanche. She was really taken with them. And she really liked Walter because he was so soft-spoken and so quiet. And he just loved art and music. And that she didn't know anything about art and music. So that was really cool. And Walter liked to teach it to her, which was really cool for him. That was kind of the appeal for both of them, especially Walter, where he was like, oh, this girl hasn't had the same privileges that I've had. And she's also a woman. So that's really hard during this time, probably. And, you know, he really wanted to teach her everything that he knew. He was like, these are my passions and Mm -hmm. I really love these things. And I want someone to share them with, which I think is really sweet. It is really sweet. It was really sweet. And she she actually was only working at the brothel for two weeks before these two fellows waltzed in. It's pretty good timing. And then Walter was like, Auga, hard eyes. Right. You over there, mm-hmm. beautiful sex worker. I want you. And you know what? Right now, as we're telling the story, it seems awesome. Like, what good luck for Blanche. Great. And it's so cute. And it sounds really cute because... From here, Walter fell pretty quickly for her, too, like you said, Katie. And eventually, he found himself traveling to New York, like, two, three times a week. And when he wasn't in New York seeing her, he was sending her telegrams and letters, kind of like our modern-day equivalent of, like, calling on the phone. I don't know. Um, He just always wanted to talk to her. And I think, you know, thus far, that's pretty cute. It's a a very old-timey love story, and that's adorable. It's, you know, he's kind of saving Blanche from this situation that was pretty, you know, a lot of people don't really want to work in a brothel. It's because they have to, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was a turning around for her in a way that she maybe was finding a way out of that lifestyle. At least it was looking like maybe that was what was happening, which seemed kind of promising to her. Blanche actually eventually was convinced to go down to New Haven to see Walter when his dad was out of town. She shows up at this house, you know, and she knew that Walter was wealthy. Mm. She was really taken aback and honestly very overwhelmed to pull up to this mansion. Yeah. Like the most impressive mansion in all of New Haven because this guy's the wealthiest guy in New Haven. Right. And Walter's like, yeah, this is my humble abode. Right. Oh, it's nothing. Don't don't mind the gardens. They look terrible today. You know, <laughs> like what? And she's probably like, I've never seen a garden before or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. So while Walter was pursuing his perhaps maybe a little delusional, maybe a little rose-colored glasses Mm -hmm. dream of courting Blanche, because, I mean, his dad would not approve of that. No. Jimmy, at the same time, was trying to court Jenny. Sure. And while Jenny went into the department store to flirt with him, it was more so just harmless flirting and fun as opposed to I really like you and you're the one for me and I want you to be my sole suitor and bring you home to my mother to approve and then get married like she really was just doing it for funsies oh yeah absolutely Jenny really wasn't having any of it you Mm -hmm. know Jimmy was not leaving her alone all over her and she just was like you are one of many suitors that I have Mm. What do you have to offer me that nobody else does? You know, like, right. yes, I flirt with you. I flirt with everyone. That's kind of what I'm known for. Yeah. I'm only going to go out with you if we can be chaperoned because my reputation is number one. Right. Yes, I flirt with everybody, but I have a golden reputation, mm-hmm. very high standards. And she said, I'm not doing anything that could damage my reputation. I will go hang out with you and we can go on a little date or whatever if it can be a double date. And Walter and Blanche can join us. Which, honestly, not a terrible idea. Right. If that's what you're going for, you're not ready, or you're right, trying to keep that reputation, sure. You, you're, Your dude has a bestie who's same age, has a girl, sure, whatever. Right. Even if the bestie's girl was introduced to her as his wealthy fiancé from Long Island. Oh, wait, that's not truthful. Because <laughs> we happen to know her as... Blanche Douglas, who is a sex worker from a brothel in New York City, which is not, you know, that's her life and that's true and that doesn't make her a bad person, but that's definitely not the story. Mm -mm. Interesting. They went on their double date on July 22nd, 1881. Hmm. Which kind of plays into the lead up of events that lead to this uh, mysterious death of Jenny Kramer. 
So on July 23rd, 1881, Jenny didn't come home to her where she lived with her parents still until 4 a.m. And that was just not acceptable. It sent her mother into an absolute tizzy. It really did. Yeah. Because that's not okay. Because you know what that implies? Sex. Mm-hmm. And sex, before marriage, there goes your reputation. Not only Jenny's, but her mom's, her dad's, the department store that her dad owns, the cigar store, that it's all gone. So Jenny reasoned, this is what she told her mom, she tried to leave the mansion that the Malleys lived at, you know, after a typical evening, like it was normal, they were all hanging out, but Jimmy was like, no, I don't want to escort you home right now, it's too late, and so she just stayed late. Okay, I guess. And so her mom was like, "Mm, how dare you? I'm going to trust, you know, like maybe you're telling the truth, but don't let it happen again. And now her reputation was still pretty good but it was a little scuff you know rumors could fly with that on wednesday august 3rd 1881 so about you know not quite two weeks later jenny spent another evening with her now i don't know if you could say lover you could say like blossoming love maybe jimmy and of course walter who was accompanied by blanche and Now Blanche was getting very used to this wealthy lifestyle. I think she really liked it, and who can blame her? Who can blame her? And that night was bound to be super special. Walter's parents were away for the weekend, and they were in Saratoga, which, great, goodbye, they were gone. So the boys had the mansion to themselves, which means they had the ladies to themselves. They probably lit a few extra lanterns. They probably gave the horse extra carrots to keep it quiet their their maids were probably in the chambers making i don't know what pot roast something but they were trying to have a nice romantic fun time at least that's what it seemed like the following morning thursday august 4th jenny returned home with blanche and her mother was fucking livid Like, her mom was not having it. She's like, remember before I said this better not happen again? It just happened. Again? What is wrong with you? And she was losing her mind over this. Her reputation, the family's reputation, cigar store, etc. And of course, remember, Jenny was allowed to be done with school at 15 so she could have this life that her mom wanted to live through her for it to potentially be ruined like this. Exactly. It could be over in an instant. So she was naturally freaking out. She immediately started arguing with her about what neighbors would think, how it was irresponsible, et cetera, et cetera. And then Blanche came to her new bestie's side and was like, hey, Miss Kramer, Jenny stayed with me in a hotel room. Nothing happened. It was because I felt ill. And Jenny stayed by my side and helped me, you know, get through the night. And even though Mrs. Kramer was like, okay, that's very nice of you. I'm not having it, though, you bitch. Whatever. And then she kicked her daughter out and said, get out. I don't want to see you. I don't want you here anymore. And so Blanche and Jenny left. Obviously very upset. And Christina, Jenny's mom, was like this. You know, she was losing her mind. However, after a little while, Christina gathered her breath. She was like, okay. Took a few deep breaths. She thought about it and she said, I overreacted. Clearly, my daughter was helping a friend. I'm uh, ah. Uh. So then she went to Jimmy's store where he was working for, you know, his uncle. He was working his shift. And she said, you know what? She decided that she was going to go there and see if Jenny was there and tell her to come home. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to kick you. Like, you can come home. So, except when she got to. J- Jimmy at the department store, she immediately lost her cool again. She accused Jimmy of introducing Jenny to a bad lifestyle and bad people. And Jimmy was like, whoa, lady, Blanche is like a perfect lady. She's the best. Why would she lie to you about what she and Jenny were doing? I wasn't with them. And he reassured the frantic mom, like, hey, the girls spent the night together at this hotel. It was fine, whatever. And then he said, if I see Jenny, I'll send her right to you. I promise. Except the next morning, now it's August 5th, Friday, 
Christina Kramer gets a letter from Jimmy that says, I'm sorry, I didn't see her. I don't know what to tell you. I'm so sorry. I don't know where she was. I don't know where she went. Unbeknownst at the time to Christina, the morning of their fight would be the last time that her mother saw her alive. Heartbreaking. Early in the morning on August 6th, an oysterman named Asael Curtis was preparing his boat at dawn to get ready for a day on the water. You know, he's making sure he's got all his equipment and maybe he's doing a check to make sure that he has everything. He brought his little lunchbox. Sure. And then in the distance, he saw what he described initially as a white object trapped in a sandbar that was gently swaying with the waves. Yeah. So he went over to inspect it. And upon a closer look, the white object was revealed to be a woman's body. Mm -hmm. She was dressed in all white clothes that looked very expensive. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that her death was as recent as that morning. Like very, very recent. Because there were no signs of rigor mortis or decomposition. She just looked very fresh. Yeah. Like it had really just happened. Yeah. Word travels fast, especially in the 1800s when you really have nothing to do. Sure. You know, word travels shockingly fast when you can't really text or call anybody. But locals came down flocking to the beach, Mm -hmm. and soon people were pointing and talking that the body was that of Jenny Kramer. Mm -hmm. Near the beach where she was found was the Seven Rock Amusement Park, and a woman was seen the night before fitting Jenny's description with another woman and two men. Mm -hmm. Important for later. Mm -hmm. It was initially thought that she had drowned. Right. And then word started to spread, you know, I live right next to Jenny in the Kramer's house and I overheard them fighting. And right. Christina kicked her out. And she must have been so just despaired and so sad that she must have taken her own life. Right. And so people were thinking maybe it was an accidental drowning or maybe she committed suicide. Right. Her body was stored, bizarrely enough, in a boathouse on the beach. I don't know why. Supposedly, it was to protect it from the elements and the onlookers until the doctors could arrive. But what I don't understand is when the doctors arrived on scene, they started hacking her open for the autopsy in the boathouse on the beach. Literally immediately, they were like, all right, let's do it. Let's get right into it. It's like, so bizarre. They found that there was no evidence of water in either her stomach or her lungs, which they were thinking, okay, well, in order for her to have to round... She would have both swallowed and inhaled water. Right. So because she was not able to do that, she was deceased before she even hit the water. Right. Autopsy further revealed that Jenny was violently sexually assaulted just 24 to 48 hours before her death. Mm. And we know this now that the science of, you know, the hymen check for virginity is bunk. Like anything can tear your hymen. You know, I've heard of people tearing it when they ride their bike or they're riding a horse or they... Jump into the pool on the diving board. Literally anything can do that. A hymen check is really fucking invasive, and I can't believe people still do it to this day. Yeah, that's crazy. But back in the 1800s, you know, it's 1881, they had to do a full autopsy, and that was their way to check for, you know, sexual assault. And they determined that Jenny had lost her virginity Mm. while she was being sexually assaulted. Yeah. Which kind of helped dispel rumors that, oh, she did have a really good reputation. Her reputation wasn't taken from her before this. You know, it's really unfortunate that she was brutally raped. Right. But because it's the 1800s and everyone thinks a woman's reputation is all that, they were like, oh, she was a virgin at the time of her death. Oh, thank God. Yeah, like that was a huge to-do. But they determined that a tendon Mm. near her vaginal area had been severed almost. Ugh. Really, really brutal sexual assault. Right. Due to the wealthy status of the Malleys, and of course the popularity of, you know, the foursome, Jimmy, Walter, and Blanche were immediately questioned, not only by who else but the local reporters who were all on the scene, but also the police, of course. The three young adults, they all agreed, yes, of course, we were all together Wednesday nights. None of them, though, had admitted to seeing her beyond noon on Thursday. They said, we saw her in the morning. Blanche left with her. You know, they talked with her mom. They got in a fight. And then Blanche left her in the afternoon, whatever. And that was it. That was it. When Walter's father, Edward, returned from Saratoga, learned that his son was being looked at, 
and then learned that it was regarding a murder, potentially, he was like, what? Hold on. And so then he hired the best and most powerful attorneys he could, even for his nephew, Anne Blanche, which I thought was kind of neat. Not the whole situation, but that was very generous of him. He also hired private detectives who were to track down literally any evidence they could find, any witnesses, anything to back up their stories. And when he was asked about the situation by reporters, Edward stated, quote, boys will be boys and you'll find that's all there is to the matter, which is so skeevy. So skeevy. And it's so skeevy, too, that he didn't only protect his own son, but he also protected, you know, Jimmy and Blanche. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that. I was like, that's so interesting. Why would he do that? And then I was like, oh, because he is thinking that anytime you have multiple people, one person is going to squeal, whether it's a little bit, whether it's a lot, whether it's the whole story. So he was probably thinking, even if I lawyer up and get my richie rich son the best lawyers and the best prosecutors whoever Mm -hmm. money can buy i gotta cover my own ass with these other two dimwits Mm -hmm. who are most definitely involved in this because all three of them are going to be involved Mm -hmm. and he's also thinking well blanche who is this woman whom i have never met that my son is now acquainted with right she is a woman Period. Women are not. That's it. Women are not smart. Right. Let me protect my son because this woman's going to give him up. Right. So around the time that Jenny died, the town that they or the province, the area they were in, didn't really have a way to gather a jury, or wasn't like a big enough case to gather a jury. So instead, a six-man coroner's jury was called. It was like an inquest, and it was here that almost. Jenny's death almost was called a drowning due to bruises on her body. And they were like, oh, maybe she did blah, blah, blah. But then the official autopsy revealed, like you said, no fluid in her lungs. They were like, okay, there's the violent rape thing as well. And then they were like, okay, instead of drowning, homicide. And that's when they were like, all right, we need to gather witnesses, we need statements, we need people to testify, we need to get down to who killed the Belle of New Haven. So so naturally they called for Jimmy Walter and Blanche. Now it wasn't just the police questioning them, it wasn't just the reporters, it was this six-man coroner's inquest where they were like, we need to get to the bottom of this. Suddenly, when asked, Blanche's story was a little altered, and she admitted that she and Jenny had been staying at the Mallee Mansion that night. She said they had been singing and drinking with Jimmy and Walter, which sounds like probably was a lot more boring than it sounds. She claimed that they got too drunk and then she got super sick, like she was a little too hammered, and that Jenny then said she took care of her and they stayed at the mansion for the rest of the night, not the hotel, like she previously said. And then Blanche ends the story by saying in the morning, she brought Jenny home, they had that loud fight, and then she last saw Jenny get in a streetcar And then she never saw her again. That was her story now. Jimmy testified that he last saw Jenny when the two women left that Thursday morning after their night of drinking and singing, you know, so fun. When asked what he was doing on Friday night, which of course was the night before Jenny was found, Jimmy said he was at home with his whole family. Okay. And of course, Walter said the same thing. The six-man coroner's jury also called other witnesses, a majority of which seemed to swear they had seen Jenny with these other friends, like you said, Katie, at this Savin Rock like amusement park. They all these people were like, no, we saw them. Like we know who these people are. They're well known around town. We saw the two guys, we saw the two girls. End of story. Beep bop. Done. After the inquest, Blanche dipped and went back to New York before anyone could ask her too many questions. Okay. And prosecution was thinking, okay, you know, that's really well and good. This wealthy wife or fiance or girlfriend from Long Island, quote unquote, like we have no idea who this woman is, but she's here and she's involved. And they were thinking, okay, well, she clearly is the weakest link (laughs) because she clearly is not from money. Like she Mm -hmm. really is not with the times society wise. We got to get her alone away from these two guys. And then she's really going to talk to us. Right. So they started to track down Blanche Mm -hmm. and they tracked her all the way to New York city, which reflected the address that she gave them. Mm -hmm. Only they found out it was a fake address. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're wandering around, they're asking around, probably showing 
black and white sketches <laughs> of Blanche. And they eventually found her at the brothel. Mm. Interesting. Huh. This is when they realized that Blanche was not actually her real name and she was essentially living a double life. Mm. So they arrested her for perjury and she was extradited back to Connecticut. So interesting. And this actually called for the rest of the Mally boys as well. Interesting. Look what it did, Blanche. While investigators were tracking down Blanche and on a wild goose chase all over New York City, mm-hmm. a second autopsy was performed, but revealed no new evidence aside from affirming that Jenny did not, in fact, drown. Mm-hmm. An official cause of death was still undetermined at this point, but during the autopsy, multiple of Jenny's organs were removed and then preserved in jars. I mean, this is the 1800s, so that adds up, at least. Yeah, that was not super abnormal back then for some <laughs> reason. But this led to people believing that investigators were looking for evidence that Jenny was drugged before she was raped and murdered. Mm. So once Blanche had been arrested for perjury, a man named Dr. Painter, who had, he took like a, he was the same man who performed the initial autopsy. He took a really special interest in the case. He actually approached Blanche and was like, hey, they, these boys are going to turn around and come at you. You need to cut ties with them and tell the jury what happened. That's your only chance at getting out of this alive. And so she was like, okay, gotcha. So she was terrified to go to jail, A. And she didn't want to be put to death, which was definitely a very real possibility, B. So she struck a deal with Sheriff Peck. She offered a confession to this six-man inquest in exchange for staying with Sheriff Peck's family instead of jail, which honestly, not a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Blanche confessed that she had been a part of a scheme that was set in place for Jimmy to seduce Jenny. Apparently, the night that they stayed out until 4 a.m. in July, they were all in a private room at Redcliffe Restaurant. Blanche was in one room with Walter, ooh, and Jimmy and Jenny were in another. And Blanche could hear a little bit, it was kind of muffled, but she could hear Jenny crying, saying, don't, don't. And it sounds like almost as if Jimmy was trying to get handsy with her, like trying to, I don't know, it sounds like almost like assault her. Yeah. On the night of Wednesday, August 3rd, so the night when they got drunk on wine and were singing, apparently it was a part of Jimmy's plan for Blanche to fake being sick so Jenny would stay. Instead of Jenny staying with Blanche, who went with Walter, Jenny was carried away kicking and screaming by Jimmy, who took her into another room. And this is where maybe it's presumed he possibly raped her. Who knows? Blanche did testify that she continued to hear loud screaming that night. Blanche also told the inquest that two men, one that she recognized as being Walter's uncle, came to visit her after the fact in New York City and asked her how much money it would take for her to be convinced to hop on a boat to Europe for, quote, a year or so. What the fuck? They knew, too. They were like, this woman is going to be the weakest link. We got to get her out of here. Let's promise her something tempting. You know, what kind of a sex worker has ever been to Europe? Mm-hmm. Let's get her out of there and let's tempt her with some more riches and right. give her another sneak peek into our lifestyle and get her the fuck out of Dodge. Absolutely. Just after Blanche's testimony, chemical analysis of Jenny's organs came back and revealed that she had eight-tenths of a grain of arsenic in her stomach, esophagus, liver, kidneys, heart, lungs, intestines, and brain. So, like, all of her major organs. <laughs> That's insane. The amount of arsenic left in her system had not yet broken down, mm. and this was enough for investigators to determine that anywhere from two to four grains of arsenic was ingested by Jenny prior to her murder, mm-hmm. a.k.a. a lethal amount. Right. Just nine days after Jenny's body was found, on August 15, 1881, Jimmy and Walter Malley were arrested for Jenny's murder. Blanche's charge was also changed to murder from her initial perjury charge when they realized that she definitely knew more and she wasn't going to give anything up. Hmm. On September 3rd, just about a month after Jenny's death, it was determined that Jimmy was, quote, criminally responsible for her death, while Walter and Blanche were, quote, morally responsible for her death which is very interesting. 
So now this meant that the case was going to be consolidated and sent up to New Haven Superior Court for a full trial instead of being just a six-man, you know, coroner's inquest. So now it was all the way heading up to where it needed to go for them all to be charged with first-degree murder. And that trial finally began in April of 1882, not even a whole year after Jenny's murder. Both prosecution and defense agreed to have Jenny's body exhumed for a complete analysis, including her bones, to determine exactly how much arsenic was ingested. Prosecutors were looking for a fatal amount of arsenic to prove that Jenny was murdered, while the defense were hoping for small doses of arsenic built up in her system over time to prove that she was, quote, an arsenic eater, which was a term for a beauty trend where people ingested small levels of arsenic at a time, over time, to keep your complexion light and fair. Yeah, that's not my favorite beauty trend of the Victorian era, just because it's so stupid. But it was definitely a thing, so that's kind of not a super dumb argument, to be fair. But that didn't hold up in the court. No. 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 They were able to determine just from, I mean, the second autopsy alone, let alone the third time this poor woman's body is being examined. I know. That the amount of arsenic she ingested was a one-time deal, Mm -hmm. and it was a really hefty dose. It wasn't like she was just dabbing her tongue on a little dose of arsenic every couple days or so. I have no idea how often they were doing that. But just the amount of arsenic they found, it was not built up in her system at all. It was a copious amount of arsenic at one time. Right. The prosecution also relied heavily on the argument that Walter brought Blanche to New Haven specifically for the whole purpose of their scheme, quote-unquote, to ruin Jenny. And when they succeeded, the trio got rid of her using the arsenic and then threw her off Sabin Rock. That was the whole plan. And that's what the prosecution really, like, dug their heels deep into and tried to portray in the courtroom. Jimmy and Walter both had five separate counts of murder for arsenic poisoning, drowning, suffocation, slash asphyxiation, chloroform, and the use of liquor and drugs. For Blanche, her only charge was arsenic poisoning. Interesting. The trial examined over 200 witnesses and lasted until the end of October. Wow. The trial ended eventually. It was a long trial, to be fair, because of, I mean, 200 witnesses. Jesus Christ. It took less than one hour for the jury to decide their fate. Wow. And they found Jimmy, Walter, and Blanche not guilty. Which blows my mind. Because they are guilty as fuck. Like, nobody's, no one's been more guilty in my life. I've never read a more guilty story. They're so guilty. How can they look at all of the evidence before them? I Like, I... I think it's because they had money. I think so, too. Money and status. And, you know, Blanche, not so much, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Jimmy's uncle mm-hmm. and Walter's papa mm-hmm. was the single richest man in the whole entire area. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. No way they could go up against that. Yeah. Ultimately, Jimmy, Walter, and Blanche, of course, were freed. And Jenny's murderer was never brought to justice. As for the aftermath of her death... Her family was devastated, and there's several different things. There's a little bit of an end of a story for each of them. The night of the verdict, despite being freed, Blanche returned to jail because she had nowhere else to go. So she slept there that night. Listen, I know she probably killed Jenny, but that's kind of kind of sad. Jenny's father never saw the end of the trial as he died of consumption, which some say was actually suicide. Christina, Jenny's mom, became extremely distraught and super mentally unstable after Jenny died, possibly because she maybe convinced herself that it maybe was her fault or, you know, that argument maybe led her to her death. And then she got so mentally unstable that she eventually convinced herself that Jenny was going to come back from the dead. And she hung herself 10 years later in July of 1891. That's devastating. Terrible. In February of 1882, just months after Jenny's death, the department store owned by Edward Malley burned to the ground. And to this day, it is suspected that it was arson. 
Yeah, the insurance company actually didn't give him payment for that because even the insurance company was like, nah, man, this is arson. 100%. Walter Malley used his time in prison, as well as his richy rich education in the arts and the finer things, to draw landscapes on the walls of his cell. Okay. He also composed a waltz. Okay. In jail, titled Under the Elms, which was actually published and then sold as sheet music. Interesting. Another piece of music titled Found Drifting with the Tide was written about Jenny Kramer by A.C. Willis. Following the not guilty verdict, the Malleys held a party at the Ritzy Ritz Tontine Hotel, which the press had a fucking field day with, Mm. and tore them to absolute shreds. Yep. Walter Malley kept in contact with Blanche and eventually went on to marry a woman named Anna Madden which many people believe was actually Blanche Douglas, mm. who, if you guys recall, her real name was Anna Kearns. Right. Who knows? Even though we all know who was responsible, this case is technically still unsolved. Very sad. And I think you're right, Katie. I think we all know who did it. But unfortunately, technically speaking, the mysterious death of Jenny Kramer is just that, a mystery. We want to know what you think. Please, guys, if you have any ideas, let us know your theories. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TrueCrimeNE. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email with your thoughts at TrueCrimeNE at gmail.com. We also, of course, have our website, TrueCrimeNE.com. You can go to our handy-dandy submission tool. You can leave your name if you so choose. You can be anonymous if you so choose. But you can use our handy-dandy submission tool to leave us... Questions, comments, concerns, thoughts about this case or other cases we've covered. We usually like doing historical cases. We've done quite a few in the past. That would be a good time to go back and listen to some of those if you really like this episode. If you scroll down a little further, you can hit our Buy Us a Coffee button that says thank you. Go to our Buy Us a Coffee page and maybe buy myself a coffee and Liz a non-coffee-related beverageino. Still on our website, if you go to our store page, you can check out some of the merch designs that we have. We have three designs that we really love, two of which are personal inside jokes that we really enjoy. And you guys can look at the different ways we use those designs, whether it's tote bags, stickers, t-shirts, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, you guys do not have to spend a single cent on us or for us, for you guys. We just are so happy that you're here, and we love that you guys are here listening. And we're always so thankful, and we hope that you enjoyed today's episode, because we sure enjoyed telling it to you. Yeah. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye! Goodbye!